When you became a member of this church, I know not everybody I'm speaking to is a member of this church, but for those of you who are members of this church, when you first became a member, uh, one of the things that you had to do was uh, take some, make some promises. Um, you had to profess your faith and then make some promises. This was one of the promises that you made. I promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of my ability. To the best of my ability. That's key. The best of my ability, the talents and skills that I have, the energy that I have, the bodily health that I have, etc., etc. Um, but notice the things that said, to support the church in its worship and work. Participate in the worship and be part of the work. Share the load with the rest of the church. The worshiping here in this worship service is a community event. It's something we do together. We share that together and we do it together. So you support the worship. Uh, doesn't mean just by funding it. It means by participating in it and being part of the worship. And that would include this worship service. It would include other smaller services of worship or prayer when we get together. And I think it would even include classes. Um, when, you're, when you're giving attention to God's Word and responding in faith and love to hearing God's Word, that's, a, that's worship as well. And so that's the worship. Um, and, and what is the work? What is the work? Support the work to the best of your ability. Well, I think the things that come to mind... Um, quickly, and the things that I think happen uh, in this church regularly are loving and encouraging one another, whether that's in a small group or whether it's just getting together or whether it just happens in between services or during the week, getting together for coffee or calling each other on the phone, texting each other, whatever it is. Loving and encouraging one another is a big part of the work of the church. We are told to love one another and encourage one another. Um, we are told to serve one another and pray for one another. So that's part of the work of this church. These people you should care about and you should love them, encourage them, pray for them, uh, serve them. Um, and one of the ways we serve them is the children's ministry and the nursery. Um, when you are uh, loving or uh, teaching the children of your fellow uh, members, when you're loving them, caring for them in the nursery, teaching or just helping to teach, watch over them, care for them in the, in the classes. That's part of the work of the church. It's not what we're going to talk about today, but that's part of what the work of the church is. We, we together sort of take care of our, our children um, and uh, care for them and teach them. Um, so we think about, and I could, I could list other things, of course, as well. Um, uh, helping, when we're caring for this edifice, for this building, um, we're doing it for each other, you know, we're doing it for each other so that we keep the building in, in, in order so that we can use it for all these things and for each other. Um, so uh, Edmund Clowney, who's this Reformed theologian, divides the ministry of the church into three categories. Ministry to God, meaning worship, what we were just talking about. Ministry to the church, meaning ministry to your brothers and sisters, some of the things we just described. Ministry to your brothers and sisters in the church. And then a third category, though, that I want to talk about today. Ministry to, can you guess? Unbelievers. Ministry to unbelievers. The church has these three ministries, which are part of the ministry of the church. Ministry to God, the worship, the praise, the thanksgiving, the attending to his word, the, the, the receiving of communion, all of that. Ministry uh, to the church, which is, of course, ministry to God as well, uh, serving God as well, but it's more specifically directed at your brothers and sisters. And then ministry to unbelievers. 
Um, and I know this is going on in this church, and I, and, and I know that uh, the deacons are involved in this ministry to unbelievers, and many of you may not know all that the deacons do, but they do this. Um, the outreach committee has for a time been um, thinking about this and making plans and dreaming and discussing how we can minister to unbelievers, and they're trying to lead us in this. And some of you in this church... Um, uh, I won't name you by name, but certain families, certain couples, certain individuals come to mind that I know you are involved in ministering to unbelievers um, as part of your personal life or your family life. But I want us to think about this, raise this up to the level today of the church, uh, the church in general, that this, what is our ministry to unbelievers? What are we doing together as a church? And, and think about that. Um, and you may think I'm about to talk about evangelism, but I'm not. I'm not going to talk about evangelism. I'm going to, I'm going to mention evangelism, but it's not my main point today. Um, this, this is my main point. I have one main point today. ERPC must alleviate the suffering of unbelievers. Did you know that that's part of the work of the church? Did you know that that's an essential ministry of a church? Alleviating the suffering of unbelievers. Now, the, there's a biblical word for that, and the word is mercy. That's what mercy, that the word mercy means to alleviate the suffering of others. But we are supposed to be alleviating the suffering of unbelievers. Um, this is part of the call upon us. Now, I'm, what I'm going to do today is focus our attention on texts about Jesus' healing ministry, how he healed. He, in his mercy, addressed the suffering, he alleviated the suffering of unbelievers, and I'll explain why I'm saying unbelievers in a second. He alleviated the suffering of unbelievers. Now, I've preached on the healings. This is the seventh text. No, it's not. The, it's the seventh general text, and there's another ten or so specific texts about healings. The, the, we've, we've covered so many healings, and I've preached many different themes. When you're preaching on the healing, you can bring out many different themes. So this is just one theme. So anybody who's here just for the first time may say, well, that's, that's not what I've heard about. Well, of course, there's many things. We can teach about how the healing shows that Jesus is the Son of God. I've preached on that. I've preached on many different things. But I think one of the lessons, one of the principles um, that, that we take from the healings and many other passages in Scripture as well, not just the healings, that's not enough, but the healings themselves that Jesus did is that we are to be alleviating as a church, following in Jesus' footsteps, we are to be alleviating the misery the suffering of unbelievers. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to read, um, my, my main text is the one in 15, 29 through 31, but I'm going to read seven different descriptions of Jesus' mercy on people uh, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, and these are all general ones. These are the six that come before this one and then the one that's for us today. And um, notice that Jesus is not teaching only. I mean, why, when the Son of God came to earth and walked among us, why didn't he just lay out the truth, give them the truth, speak the truth, and lay it out there? Have a gospel ministry for Pete's sake, Jesus. Focus on the gospel, Jesus, not all this, this social stuff and this helping miserable, helping sick people. And help. What's that have to do with the Spirit? What's that have to do with God? What's that have to, but Jesus didn't. He did all this alleviating of suffering, alleviating of suffering. And the people's suffering he was alleviating were, for, by, by and large, unbelievers. 
unbelievers. Remember how we distinguish, we've been distinguishing between the crowd and the disciples? The Bible draws a line between them for the last few chapters. The crowd are those that are interested in Jesus, certainly interested, certainly impressed, certainly uh, wanting uh, healing from Jesus, wanting help from Jesus because they recognize God is working in him, but they're not yet obeying Jesus. They're not disciples. There's a, there's a line between them. So these are not yet disciples of Jesus. This is the crowd. And in the passage we are about to discuss today, it's even more. It's not just the, the Jewish crowds versus the Jewish disciples. The passage we're going to look at today in, in, in 15, these are Gentiles. So now Jesus rolls into Gentile territory, and he is doing massive amounts of healing of Gentiles. Remember how a few weeks ago we saw him heal that woman's daughter? And she was a Gentile, but he healed her anyway, um, and he showed mercy. Well, now he's rolling, and, and, we, and this is better clearly seen in the Gospel of Mark, the parallel passage, because in the Gospel of Mark, this same story, it actually says where he is, and it says he's in the Decapolis. Uh, he's in the Gentile country, the ten cities of the Decapolis. He's in the, he, and actually he's not in the cities, he's in the rural part of that area. He's actually in Gentile country now. So he is actually now healing not just Jewish unbelievers, but Gentile unbelievers. He's healing them. He is dealing with their what? Their afflictions, their physical afflictions, their physical miseries. And he's addressing them. He cares about them and he addresses them. He shows mercy on these people. So I'm going to read these seven accounts now. And this is the most important part of the, of, of the, uh, this is the most important part of the sermon, okay? Many people actually reverse it and zone out during the scripture reading and pay more attention to the preacher. This is now the most important part. I'm about to read the Bible. And I'm going to pray again. And what I'm going to pray is that as you're hearing your Lord and Savior described, you, your heart gets touched by his heart. Your heart gets touched by his mercy on this, this mat, the, the, these, these people, these real human beings, men and women, boys and girls, masses of them. And in chapter 15, Gentiles, unbelievers, people who were not yet committed to him, not yet disciples of him, not yet obeying him, but they were in trouble, they were in need, they were hurting, they were suffering, they were afflicted, they were struggling, and they were coming to our God, and our God was showing mercy. And this is the example to the church of what we need to be. And I'm, pray, I'm going to pray right now that it touches my heart and touches your heart as you hear about Jesus and the Word of God melts our hearts and makes us flow with the same mercy that's in Christ. Just as we won't have all that mercy, but have this, a, a taste of the mercy, some of that mercy that Jesus has. Listen to this description of your Lord and Savior. When he came and was on earth, this is what he spent his time doing. This is what he wore himself out doing, broke himself doing, day in, day out, exhausting life that he lived, a ministry that he had. Listen to what he did. Listen to the way, may it stir your heart. Lord Jesus, I pray now that you would stir our hearts by your word and do the work of this, of this word in our heart, that you would show us uh, the Lord Jesus clearly and that you would show us his mercy and show us um, his heart. Let's, we pray this in his name. Amen. You have 15 in front of you, so just listen to these other six as I build up to 15. Chapter 4, verse 23. 
Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. 8.16 When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to Jesus. And he drove out the spirits with a word. And he healed all the sick. 9.35 Jesus went through all the towns and villages. Imagine this scene in your mind. Imagine these repeated scenes. All these towns, all these villages, Jesus traveling around, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Aware of this, oh, I'm sorry, I told, didn't give you the reference, 12.15, Jesus withdrew from that place, and a large crowd followed him. And he healed all who were ill. 14.13 When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed, when he got where he was going for solitude, instead he saw a large crowd. And he had compassion on them. His heart went out to them. He felt for their suffering and misery. And he healed their sick. 1434. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. And people brought all their sick to him. And they begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. And then this is our passage for today, the one we've come to today. Jesus left there and he went along the Sea of Galilee. And the Gospel of Mark tells us that it was the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee in, the, in Gentile territory, not the western side, which was Jewish territory. Jesus left there and he went along the Sea of Galilee and then he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they laid him at his feet and he healed them. And the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And here's, the hint, here's one of the hints, a reminder that this is Gentile territory. They don't praise their God. They don't praise the God, you know, the God that they worship. They praise the God of the Jews. It says, and they praised the God of 
Israel. This is language that someone who's not a Jew would use, saying they praised the God of those other... They, they knew that Jesus was from that God. Jesus was the Messiah of Israel. Jesus was from, from Israel. And so they praised the God of Israel who had sent this one, this Messiah. That ends the reading of the word. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God and man. He had the power to heal. He had the power to heal, and he even gave that power, although not in the same sense that he had it, but, in the, but he did give that power to the apostles to heal, and they were much of the time able to heal. We talked about in Sunday school times when the apostles did not heal uh, and, and perhaps were not given the power at that time to heal, but they did uh, heal, and they healed often. Um, I don't think there's anyone in this room today who has the power to heal like Jesus or has the power to heal uh, like the apostles even. Um, if, you have, if you do, you've been hiding that. I haven't, I haven't seen that. Um, I'm not saying that, that he couldn't give it to you. I just don't think that I know of anyone in this room who has that power. I know that we can pray for people, and what we do is we pray for people and we anoint them with oil, as James tells us, and we pray for healing, and often there is healing. And so I know that God can heal, and he can heal miraculously. Uh, and in response to prayer, um, I know that that's the case. But I'm saying all that to say, what do we do in our context? We're not the son of God. We're not the sons of God. We're not, we're not son of God. We are the sons of God. We're not the son of God. We're not the Messiah. We're not the Lord. Um, what, what do we do without the power to heal? Um, are, are we supposed to really follow this? Or are we just to say, oh, that's for people who can heal. It's not, it's not for us. No, I think that this combined with the teaching and the rest of the New Testament demonstrates to us that we're supposed to have this heart of mercy and this heart of compassion for unbelievers and for their suffering and for their affliction. And we are to be ministering to them and caring for them and helping them. And uh, in, the, in the fourth century, uh, the fourth century of the church, um, the church uh, uh, recognized uh, they had this, there was this great bishop, the, uh, the Bishop of Caesarea, uh, Basil was his name. And uh, he was a strong teacher of these things, strong teacher on this. And he believed that the church was, was supposed to do this. And so at that time, there were not hospitals. There were no nursing homes. There were no homeless shelters. There were, and so the church invented all of that. They, Basil had all of those things in Caesarea. The church, the church itself ran the hospitals, the old folks' homes, the, the, uh, the, the houses for the, the, the destitute and the homeless. Uh, they, they ran every, every, every affliction that there was. They had a place for people who were poor. Now, some rich people could take care of their afflictions in their own home. But for the poor and for those who could not take care of their afflictions, the church did it. There were no public institutions. The church did it all. They saw that as the church's work. That was the church's work. And they, did they worship? Yes, they did. Did they teach the Bible? Yes, they did. Did they preach the word? Yes, they did. They also ran the hospitals, the old folks' homes, the homeless shelters, all of the, the soup kitchen type places. They had, the church had cooks. The church had doctors. The church had all these people who were, who were, ser who were serving uh, and it didn't matter who they were. They didn't have to be believers serving everyone um, who was afflicted and who was, who was hurting. Um, uh, 
God didn't make us all uh, uh, teachers and speakers. You know, have you ever wondered about, have you, have you ever thought like, well, I'd like, to, I'd like to reach out to unbelievers, but I don't have the gift of speaking. And that's what the Bible teaches, doesn't it? The Bible says not everyone has the gift to speak. Not everyone can clearly, uh, everyone can talk about Jesus in a conversational way to some degree, but not everyone has the gift of speaking, the gift of teaching. It's, it's, it's a gift that only some have. And so, but all of you in this room, every single one of you has spiritual gifts. Every single one of you has natural talents that you had even before you became a Christian. You have knowledge that you've received over many years of experience and training. You have resources, whether it's your money, it's your house, it's just your body itself. Um, You have resources. We all have things um, that we can contribute with, with our particular interests and, and, and knowledge and talents and skills and spiritual gifts, we all have things that we can contribute to taking care of the suffering. And that means not just the suffering believers, which of course we need to take care of, but also suffering unbelievers. We can all be a part of this. This is not just, sometimes when you say evangelism, you know, you know the ones who are going to do it. It's those ones who have those speaking gifts or have a certain kind of brash personality uh, that, are, that are willing to do, could do, to do those things. Um, uh, but this is, not, this is not just speaking. This is using the gifts you have to what? To see needs and care for. And what we got to figure out, what, what, what a church has to figure out is look at the community around them and say, who's falling through the cracks, right? Who of these people around us in East Ridge are falling through the cracks? There's hospitals for people with cancer. There's, 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 there's uh, you know, but... That's even oversimplification, but you know what I'm talking about. There are institutions in, in, in East Ridge and in Chattanooga that deal with certain problems and help people with certain issues, but who is still falling through the cracks that the church could take care of? In Basil's time, everybody was falling through the cracks, and the church took on them all, but in Chattanooga, and it's specific to our time and our culture and where we are now. Who's falling through the cracks in Chattanooga? Unbelievers as well as believers. Who is not being taken care of? Who is on the margins? Who is... Uh, who is uh, not being helped, not being, and that's what we need to think about. We need to think about our gifts, our natural talents, and who's falling through the cracks, and how we as a church can work together to care for people um, who we see falling through the cracks and who are not being, who are not being cared for, either by their families or other institutions, etc., etc. Um, people listen to Jesus' teaching because of his great power, Right? But they also listened to Jesus' teaching because of his mercy. Those crowds were coming out there, those crowds were not coming out to hear a sermon, right? It's pretty clear. They got a sermon, they got a message, they got a word, they got teaching, but they were coming out because they had a problem or someone in their family had a problem and they were coming to Jesus with a great affliction. They knew he had the power, but they also knew he had the mercy. He was merciful. He represented a God who was merciful. And he as a man and as this figure sent by God, this one sent by God, this Messiah, he had mercy. And he was bringing, and so they knew they could go to him and get help. Not only did he have mercy, he had the power too. Um, And so they listened to, to what he said. Did all of them convert? No. You'll often get this sort of strange attitude of Christians of, well, nobody converted, so that ministry was a failure. That's not true. Did you love people? (laughs) 
in Jesus' name? Did you take care of their needs in Jesus' name? Mission accomplished. If some, if, if some, if some hear the word, and they convert, or if they hear the word and it germinates for 20 years and they convert later or whatever, uh, Jesus himself did not convert that many, did he? Like many of them just stayed the crowds, and they, some of them converted in later years after the apostles' ministry began to spread, and some of them never did. But Jesus still did all this ministry and did all, the, um, did, did all this alleviating of, of misery and did all this mercy. People listened to Jesus' teaching um, because of his power and because of his mercy. And I believe... We're, we're always struggling with this thing, of, we're always struggling with this thing of how can we get unbelievers to listen to talk about Jesus? How can we fool them into or trick them into listening? Can we, can we do this and then uh, uh, can we have a big, um, oh, I don't want to get offensive. You know what I'm saying. Can we have a big show and then, and then hit them with a little tiny bit of gospel? Uh, can we get them in here for, for something that's super fun? And then hit them with a little bit of gospel. Okay. I think Jesus' method is better. It's find the people who are in deep trouble and take care of them. Show them mercy. And some of them will want to know more about the Jesus who has led you to this point, who has led you to help them, who has led you to care for them. They'll want, not all of them will. Many of them will not give a rip. They just want to take what they can take and, and go on. But some of them will. Some of them will wonder about this Jesus and they'll want to know more about this Jesus and then there'll be those opportunities for you or maybe someone who's more gifted speaking. Um, you can point them to somebody else to, to hear more about this Jesus. If we show unbelievers the mercy of Jesus, some of them will want to know more about this Jesus. Everybody in Chattanooga knows something about Jesus except for maybe some people who've come from overseas just very recently. But, you know, most people who've lived in Chattanooga for any time know something, but some, a lot of them don't know what they need to know about Jesus. They don't know enough. They don't know the right things yet. And they need to know, they need to know some other things. And they'll be more interested in, in, in what this is. And so evangelism, I think, follows on this. It, come, it flows naturally out of this. Um, talking flows naturally out of showing mercy. Um, the suffering of unbelievers, let me conclude with this. The suffering of unbelievers includes their sin. Don't forget that. Their lack of God. That is terrible suffering. It is terrible suffering to live in the world in sin, a way that God did not design us to live. God did not create us to live these terrible ways that so many of us are living. And even us as Christians fall into that sin and live in those terrible ways as well. God didn't make us to live like this. This is not full life. This is not the good life. This is not authentic life. And so their part of their suffering is just their sin. It's just having being trapped in that and not being able to get out. And part of that is also their separation from God. Without God in the world. Remember that, that, that phrase? You were once without God in the world. Can you imagine living in this world without God? And so many people out there, they're not only facing cancer or mental illness or, uh, uh, or uh, homelessness on the street, they're also living without God, so a lot of them. Not all of them. Some of them are strong Christians, obviously. But, but some of them are living without God in the world, and that's part of their suffering. And they need to know about a merciful Jesus who not only cares about their physical problems, but gave himself on the cross to cleanse them of their sins, and to reconcile them to God. Now that's mercy. 
He gave his body and poured out his blood to, recon- to bring God into people's lives, to reconcile them to God. So it's a natural, showing mercy naturally flows into the mercy of, of the gospel, the mercy that's exhibited in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross. Uh, that those two mercies are connected. Show people, uh, the, the, we exhibit this mercy in our actions, but it points to the greater mercy of, of, of Jesus Christ and what he is doing for people, that he gave himself on the cross, and that one day he's returning to heal everything, to heal, uh, to heal creation and heal all his people um, on that day. Jesus died for sinners, he forgives sinners, he reconciles us to God. Okay, this will be my last comment. I never should say that, but this, uh, this is supposed to be my last comment. I want to ask this. Remember, remember what my phrase was again? ERPC must alleviate the suffering of unbelievers. Some of you probably would push back against that and not agree with that. And I'm willing to talk about it. But I think it's for something for some reason people are afraid to say. That that is an essential part of the ministry. And so let me ask this. Are we willing to do this as a church? Are we willing to find out what the deacons are doing? Find out what the outreach committee is doing? Find out what certain families are doing already? And uh, maybe we can't do those things, but learn from those things, grow from those things, join in where we can, um, use the gifts we have, and, and, and work together, partner together as a church. Because w- the more people are doing it, the more they, we learn from each other, and we grow in this, and we partner in this, and all these. We pull each other into this kind of, of love and care. But let me ask this, are we willing to do this as a church? Are we, are we willing to not just leave it to the deacons? God's, the deacons are supposed to do mercy, right? The point of that was not deacons only do mercy. It was that the deacons lead the whole entire church, including the pastor and elders, in mercy. Did you understand that? Not the deacons. Oh, yeah, the deacons take care of mercy. They got the, they got the mercy covered. No, the deacons are just the ones who are, who are devoted to that and dedicated to that. But the rest of us are to be a part of that ministry as well, to, to showing mercy, to alleviating the suffering of believers, of course, but today we're talking about unbelievers um, because of the text before us. Um, are we willing to, I don't, know, I don't know that we are. What I'm about to, well, these things that I'm saying right now, I don't know that we are willing to do this, but I throw it out there and ask you to pray about it and meditate on it. Are we willing to use these buildings to alleviate the suffering of unbelievers, these buildings. Something might get messed up. There might be a hole in the wall we didn't intend. There might be a stain on the carpet. These buildings belong to Jesus Christ. Not you and me. Jesus Christ. Do you see what Jesus Christ spent his time doing? These are not only educational facilities and worship facilities. That is so important. Education and worship, not denigrating it at all. So fundamental and important. This is not an either or. But these facilities could be, some some of these rooms, no one's in the room for six days. No one is in that room for six. What? Some of these rooms could be used for something. Dream it up. Envision it. Dream it up. What is, are we willing to use these? Are we willing, now here, okay, now we're really, really getting scary. We are $66,000 behind this year. 
We have given this year $66,000 less than we've had to spend for just ordinary ministry. Nothing crazy, just ordinary ministry. We're $66,000 behind. Do we believe that God owns the cattle on every hill? Do we believe that God is not $66,000 behind? Do we believe that the money in the bank is not just for us and this church and our members, but it's also for those people out there? I don't know if we believe that. We may not. I believe it, but you may not believe it. You may not agree with that. But I think that money in the bank is Jesus' money. Every single dollar of it is Jesus' money. And how does Jesus want it spent? Worship, yes. Education, yes. Alleviating the sufferings of unbelievers, I think yes. I think yes. The early church took in their money and, the, and, and it was, it was the, 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 the bishop, the bishop you know, and, and, and the people under him controlled that, that, that money, but it was spent on these hospitals and these, and these, uh, and these uh, old folks' homes and these homeless shelters and these soup kitchens. That's what the money was spent on. Um, are we willing to use these? Are we willing, well, my last question, are we willing to replace current ministry? What I mean is, do we think this is as important as other things so that we would actually be willing to say, this ministry right here, we do this in many different places. We don't need to do this at this time. Let's make this time or this ministry, let's replace this ministry with alleviating the suffering of the need. Are we willing to do that? I don't know that we are. But I was just feeling a little crazy when I wrote that, I guess. Maybe I'm nuts. Maybe not.